0: Volume. Welcome to Zonda Commission Unpacked, a Corruption Watch podcast. My name is Mwebeng Valensha Talani, and this podcast is brought to you by Corruption Watch and produced by Volume. It'll be three years in August since the commission started hearing oral evidence, and some arrests have been made in cases linked to evidence heard before the commission. But as the cynics out there often say, none of the big guns are behind bars. A number of civil society organizations came together in response to the establishment of the State Capture Commission to form a united front in holding it accountable. They call themselves the Civil Society Working Group on State Capture and are made up of 20 or so organizations with the simple mandate of keeping the Zondo Commission on its toes. But to what extent has this accountability tool been, one, necessary, and two, effective? In this episode, we speak to Zen Mate, an investigator for Open Secrets, who's going to answer this and other questions on the subject of holding the Commission to account. Welcome to Zondo Commission Unpacked. We're delighted to have you. Hello, and thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Now, before we go into the topic of the day, please tell us briefly about Open Secrets. Uh, For those who've never heard of the organization, who are you and what do you guys do?
1: Open Secrets is a nonprofit organization which exposes and builds accountability for private sector economic crimes through investigative research, advocacy, and the law, and Our vision is really to promote, and what we try to do is promote truth and justice and contribute towards social justice by holding powerful private actors to account through research that leads to legal accountability and advocacy for change. And we aim in particular to contribute our efforts to an area of work which is currently underserved in the region to complement and support the important work being undertaken by partner civil society organizations, um, both in the region and around the world. And some of our investigations include apartheid guns and money, uh, which is investigation on Yemen, our area of work, which produced a report more recently this year um, called Profiting from Misery, South Africa's Complicity in War Crimes in Yemen. Um, We've done work and investigation around um, pensions and uh, that investigation was called The Bottom Line and um, leading the civil society working group on state capture, yes.
0: Yes, yes. Now let's talk about that a bit. What is the civil society working group on state capture and why does it matter?
1: So the civil society working group on state capture is a coalition of over 23 civil society organizations and the mandate of the group has been to both support and strengthen the work of the commission, the Zondo commission or the state capture uh, commission of inquiry as others may know it, while uh, maintaining oversight over the commission in the interests of the public. And the working group is important it, you know, it was. It came together in 2018. This group of organisations came together back in 2018 at the commencement of the Zondo Commission, and um, has been involved in ongoing work since then. And I, I think the working group is an important is important, and its work matters um, because civil society recognized that this commission was a window of opportunity for a moment in the country where civil society was able to respond. Before that, civil society had responded to state capture through Engaging in its different areas of work um, and in different pockets. But I think this was a moment in which civil society came together to continue to do that. In the beginning, a sense that the work of civil society through the likes of the Gupta leaks exposing state capture and and ongoing work by other civil society organizations, um, both academic and um, social movements and and other NGOs in the country had worked hard um, in the period before the Zonda Commission was established to expose what had been going on and what then became termed as a state capture and corruption and I think there was the sense of almost a sigh of relief by civil society for what culminated after the public protectors Trima Dondela at the Times state release of the state of capture report that the work of civil society and the media and investigative journalists had been recognized and that there was a moment of of hope, you know, of handing over the baton, as it were, by civil society to the Zondo Commission to kind of continue what really began through the ongoing work of civil society over the years in efforts to explore state capture and corruption. And I think what the Civil Society Working Group did was to recognize that this is the establishment of the Zonder Commission and the mandate that it had and the work it, it had ahead of it wasn't a moment for civil society to perceive it as an after-capture moment. It wasn't a a time for civil society to then sit back and to retreat into its spaces to do the other work that civil society in the country was doing, but rather to continue to rally around the ongoing efforts to expose state capture and corruption and to mobilise around the under commission and help it to achieve its mandate, but also to remain critical of it. So I think why the, the working group mattered and matters is that it shows that sustained civil society engagement um, and continued civil society collaboration is important in this period of our time in our country. And to have relaxed as a civil society in that moment, I think, would have been a failure by civil society to recognize the window of opportunity offered by, by the Zonda Commission and to act and to continue to act.
0: It's a very um, strong statement that you make about the group having to sustain the work or its mandate to make sure that the commission is supported and held accountable. But what has been the reception of the commission towards the group, particularly as an accountability tool?
1: I think the reception by the commission from the Civil Society Working Group on state capture has been a mixed bag. In some instances, we have seen swift responses from the commission um, and a taking on, so to speak, of what the civil society working group has put forward to the commission and an addressing of some of the questions that um, have been put forward by the civil society working group on state captain. And in other instances, we have seen um, little to no response from the commission with some of the issues raised by the civil society working group. And so I, I think in large part, Through engagements with the commission, and and these are formal engagements with the working group and the commission where um, some of the executive uh, members of the commission have been involved in meetings uh, with the civil society working group where they have come and addressed some of our questions. And and that has happened, I think, on on two or three occasions, if I'm not mistaken. And in that respect, we can't say that there has been little to no reception uh, by the commission.
0: Surely then you view yourselves as a bridge between the background work of the commission and members of the public. How how do you then go back to members of the public to distribute whatever information you may pick up from the commission in, in terms of the work that you do of supporting and holding it accountable? So I think to to speak to that,
1: we... As a working group, thinking through our mandate um, and always going back to our mandate is to support and strengthen the work of the commission and uh, while holding the commission accountable. That has been uh, the first and foremost thing that we have tried to do with regards to being a bridge between the commission and the public. We have tried to remain steadfast in our um, approach with regards to that in the sense that Um, We shouldn't have to be a bridge between a public commission of inquiry and the public. And in instances where we found this was a little bit of the case, that would be one of the areas of critical engagement. Um, We would hold the commission to account to say, but this needs to be public. This cannot be just information that we hold as a group of civil society organizations we shouldn't have to be a a, a bridge between the commission and the public uh, because the commission's mandate you know, it has a constitutional mandate, you know, it's a quasi-judicial process, the commission, and it's a public fact-finding mission. And I think if, you know, in the areas where the commission has not been doing that, for example, in areas where it hasn't, you know, failed to be communicating with the public by releasing media statements or putting things up on their website, we have rather engaged the commission not to tell us, but to make information publicly accessible. But on the other hand, I should say, that how do we strengthen the work of the commission was one of the first things, and and we we said that through, we we thought instead of just engaging with the commission through meetings and, and verbal consultations, one of the ways we would be able to do this is to make evidence based submissions to the commission, and um, which is again engaging the commission in for, through its formal publicly available channels, and the working group you know has made over fifteen of these submissions to to the commission. And and these submissions have been based on different areas of work between either collaboration between um, certain civil society organizations within the working group and the like. And I think an example of this just to name just a few was um, submissions The submission that Open Secrets made was in partnership with Shadow World Investigations that focused on the enablers of state capture. So, you know, the bankers, the accountants, the lawyers and the consultants that cashed in on state capture. And that was a a specific area of focus that we felt wasn't being looked at. And, for example, Section 27.0. And the Treatment Action Campaign made a submission that aims to illustrate the impact of corruption on access to health care service facilities. And so different organizations within the working group, I think also of Equal Education Law Center and Section 27, having made submissions on the impact of corruption on the public basic education. And in that way, bringing the voice of the public through these uh, evidence-based submissions and in various areas of work, in formal ways. And and I think to further follow on from that, after these submissions were made, that we correlate the submissions that the working group has made into a joint submission, which again, would be also a powerful advocacy tool to come around to say, this is what we are saying as a working group. And and we did that in, in a joint submission, and we submitted it to the commission as an as an agenda for action, and it pulled together and um, the recommendations of the various individual evidence-based made submissions to say to the commission, here is it all packaged in one joint submission. If you can't look at all fifteen, which would be, uh, you know, which we hope that the commission has done, here it is packaged in one joint submission from civil society organisations.
0: The 101 key witnesses campaign. It was launched when in 2020 and it basically put to the commission 101 organizations individuals um that the commission should look at as as having been possible key players in the state capture project how successful has it been
1: as a working group, we wanted to highlight witnesses that we believe should be uh, prioritized during the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture, saying that um, the Commission should use its full power to compel these witnesses that we believe have been instrumental in state capture, but also would um, strengthen um, the work of the Commission to, to hear the evidence of these witnesses. And I think this was the work of the group, took around building this list took some time, I think it's so hard to say that this is a comprehensive list. And we were very clear in in the release of that, this is not a comprehensive list. This actually is a list based on, again, Submissions that we had been that we had made, so um, uh, to the commission, and all the organisations drew from those submissions to say these are the people that we are putting forward, and that we are, are saying have not been called and should be um, prioritised by the commission. So it almost repackaged what we had already submitted through these evidence-based, researched submissions to the commission in a different form and to pick out the characters from there. That is important because there's, there are a number of people that are not on that 101 key witness list. And it was not just a pet project by the civil society working group to say, these are the people we think should come to the commission because these are our opinions. In the work of putting this list together, it was a fine line of balancing, you know, um, some of our opinions which differ um, and also, how do we validate the strong evidence and support for why we have put these names forward? Again, if it's not a comprehensive list, who are these people? Why are they on here? And why are you guys choosing these people? And I think in that, we didn't include a lot of key people or organizations. You know, We thought, let's choose 100, and then it ended up being 101. And so it wasn't as if, as a working group, we were coming you know, late to the party to say, here is... Some witnesses that we think you should call all of a sudden. Um, at the end of the day, we were saying, you know, you are drawing towards the end of your work, but we have not seen these key players. Um, these are powerful corporations, whether it's Bain and Company and and other such companies, powerful corporations that have benefited through state capture. And before your time runs out, here are the big. F- where are they? Why haven't you called them yet? So that was the process through which this 101 Witnesses campaign, um, this Witness Wanted campaign um, was started by, by the working group. Just to say in the work of the working group as well, I think we felt it was important as civil society organizations to do what we felt at the time because the 101 key state capture witness list came in October 2020. And that was a year later from October 2019, the previous year, where we as a working group had felt that it had been a year since the commission had started at that time almost. And there was a sense that um, at the time, the commission was not um, focusing, not, not focusing, but wasn't, going to be able to hear evidence of, of affected communities and the affected public who we, as the people of South Africa, are the, you know, we are suffering the consequences of state capture. And I think at the time, yeah, it was it was big names and big politicians that, again, seem to have been taking the commission for a little bit of a ride with a lot of, um, of the commission's time being taken up with stories that weren't really highlighting, you know, the public impact or the true cost. Um, I think now, for example, in the, the month that followed and more recent times with um, evidence being given on money flows, that really um, shows the numbers and the magnitude of the amount of money that has been lost, state capture. So we're really starting to see what that has meant numerically. But even then, it's important to, again, to say, you know, these are not just... Um, numbers to the tune of almost 50 billion rand um, and that's again conservative costs in evidence that can be revealed through uh, evidence of Paul Holden for example but but also to say that what does that mean to us as a country that means that there is now a situation with uh, a public uh, transport system that has completely failed schools that are have been without textbooks and and so I think sometimes we really, as a working group, would try to say, yes, how do we move from making these evidence-based submissions to the commission and really speaking on those issues to to saying, but this is the effect of that. And we then uh, hosted the People's Hearing on State Capture um, on the 12th of October in 2019, back in 2019 at Constitutional Hill. And it was a public forum where members of the public and community members and activists uh, were invited to tell their story and to reflect on the impact of state capture, um, either through personal videos or through short documentaries um, that the Civil Society Working Group put together. And and in that way, I think the the Civil Society Working Group really worked to not claim to speak for a particular public of our country, but to offer the space for that to happen. And the findings made by the judges panel on, on this day were included in the uh, agenda for action, that joint submission and um, that I had spoken about earlier, that was made by the Civil Society Working Group to the Zondo Commission. And, and to say, you know, these are not only uh, the recommendations made from the um, submissions that we have given you, that we have pulled together in in, in this condensed version, but this condensed version of a a joint submission also includes a reflection on the true human cost of of state capture.
0: It sounds like there's been a lot of thought put behind what the commission needs to be focusing on that is in the best interest, of course, of affected parties. And that would be you and me, ordinary South Africans, who need to to find justice in in this process. What is it that the civil society working group on state capture would like to see come out in the final report of the commission um, that is expected to be released, of course, by, or rather be handed over to the president at the end of the commission's work that speaks particularly to its mandate in terms of finding justice for ordinary South Africans like yourself and myself who need to see that there has been some purpose to one, establishing the commission and the commission having worked as hard as it has and um, hopefully for a better run state. I think what
1: we would like to see in the commission's report is what happened and unpacking and and addressing of you know the commission's mandate as mentioned is is a public fact-finding body and so in in that respect i think this commission's report telling the facts of what went on what unfolded what were the issues and so i think the commission will have fulfilled its mandate if it is able to be the fact-finding body that it is um, required to be. And beyond that, capturing the essence of distilling the reams and reams and reams of information. And I think distilling it in a way that gives us solutions. And I think what we've seen in the commission, which some of us have felt has wasted the commission's time is back and forth on, you know, attempts to to politicize the commission and all of that. And I think a report by the commission will be able to cut through all of that and be able to bring forward um, what really went on. And beyond that, to understand, I think for us as a public, if we are committed as a country and as a state, and this is again a band-aid that can only be taken forward by the government and the presidency once the support is tabled, it's no new knowledge that often in course correcting efforts we need to understand what went wrong. And so I think that would be the importance of this commission's report. You know, and there are powerful, as I've mentioned, powerful corporations and individuals that have been part of this network, which was a sophisticated network. It's almost professionalized corruption, in a sense, and became a machine that operated in this, you know, these these words, as we call them, inverted commas, shadow state, and what's that? What that really means, I think, is to say that we had an entire system that was working behind the scenes that became a machinery that looted money in the billions. And and how how did that machine work? How was it established? You know, when we're talking about this particular era of state capture, I think as a public that's what we're looking to find the answers to who was pivotal in in that how was this machine set up of course we know this didn't happen overnight we know that such a sophisticated web that just looted money by the billions um, from the state could did not form overnight you know and and did not have one you know, linchpin person at the centre of it, necessarily. It'll move us past um, single narratives and it'll move us past, hopefully, what what happens when there's a, a lack of clear understanding as we as a public try to wade through these muddy waters that we find ourselves in with life that has become heart you know uh, we've seen tax revenues increased for the first time you know since democracy uh, with uh, the decapacitation of SARS you know and that was again through powerful consulting companies such as Bain and Company and again as mentioned it will be a report that highlights and illuminates this web that operated in the shadows that we as a public need to understand and the state Needs to recognize that a shadow state is unconstitutional. You know, I think then the commission will have said in itself, it has fulfilled its mandate. I think in the last request by um, Deputy Chief Justice Judge Zondo, he was clear that, you know, this request for an extension that the commission has just put forward is one that. He has to ask for in the sense that the commission will not have fulfilled its mandate without having gone through the witnesses it still needs to go through and and including the information it still needs to include. So I think there is a sense by the commission that it is a commission that has, in some um, some instances, has the public's trust in some ways. And of course we can be critical of this commission and we should remain critical as civil society and as the public. But I think there is a hope and there is a sense that this is a commission that is operating in good faith. And so the report at the end of the day, we hope will reflect a commission that has been doing exactly that and nothing less. I think that's the main thing. I think, yes, how the commission tables its final reports and how it looks, none of us can know. But I think for it to be a powerful report, it'll be a report that has strong recommendations. So it won't be one that only highlights what happened and illuminates the fact um, and fulfills its mandate as the fact finding body that tells us the story of what happened, but also one that tables strong recommendations and takes into account the effect of the true cost of state capture, which is how it has affected the country and, and the public at large, and strong recommendations that are based on that. Whether those are implemented or not, I think that's another story altogether, but that will be a stepping stone that the Commission will have provided, and an important stepping stone for sure.
0: Well, exciting times indeed, as we wait for the report, um, hopefully it will follow the normal path of being given to the president and then being released to the public. Thank you so much, Zen, for making time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. That's it for this episode. I've been your host, Mabeng Valencia Talani. Join us again soon for more discussions on the State Capture Commission. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Stay safe. Volume.